Welcome to the Calgary Sessions. This is episode number 80. I'm your host, Jeff Humphreys. Today's guest, we were just bullshitting for I don't know how long, but this is going to be a fun conversation because I think uh, there's just going to be a bunch of connections and interests. So uh, please go ahead and name and who you are. Uh, my name is Dan Balaban. Uh, you know, thanks for having me uh, today, Jeff. Really appreciate it. Um, who am I in my uh, professional uh, life? I'm the CEO of Greengate Power. Uh, in my personal life, I'm uh, the father of three wonderful kids and uh, I guess part-time Uber driver. <laughs> kid, kid Uber driver. Yeah, no tips, <laughs> yeah, no payments. No tips, no payment. Just uh, hopefully they pay it forward. <laughs> um, right before we jumped on camera, you said you've, you've seen a couple of these, so you kind of know what's about to happen-ish. Um, so yeah, I think this is going to be... Uh, you born and raised in Calgary? I was born in Toronto, but oh, yeah, I was raised in Calgary, okay. yeah. Which, and I think as we were just talking, you went to high school down the street. I yeah. was like, like, so it's all, this is all going to get intertwined somehow. We're like the, literally meeting at the halfway point between it. our schools, right? This it's, is the neutral, neutral zone. It's just, yeah. it's just so funny how you don't realize these situations just occur, right? You, like for whatever reason, this, this platform is creating these weird opportunities. So it's just fun when you and I are in this middle zone, literally where we grew up going to high school. So. Yeah, and it's been a wild journey uh, in between high school uh, to come back to where we are today, but uh, totally. we're, we're both back here, right? Yep. Um, yeah, man, so this will be cool. So i like the guests to go back, you know, and, and go back is a vague idea, but, you know, just how you grew up, where you grew up, what inspired you, you know, your inspirations, how your parents kind of, you know, guided you. So take it back there, and then I'm just going to pull you along to where you are today. And where you are today is fascinating to me, too, by the way. Like, the industry you're in and what you're up to is... I know what's happening, so uh, this was, that's why this one's going to be fun. So have at her. Okay, no, I appreciate it. So uh, I was born in Toronto. I'm the um, product of four uh, grandparents that were Holocaust survivors. Uh, unfortunately, none of them are alive anymore, but they were a big part of my life um, growing up. Uh, I'm actually the first of my entire family to be born in North America. Ooh. So... Um, so, you know, so I grew up with, uh, you know, tremendous amount of love uh, from my grandparents, um, you know, tremendous uh, loving environment from my parents. And, um, you know, but it was also, um, you know, pretty intense, I think, uh, way of growing up. Um, you know, I learned from an early age that um, we can't take for granted the you know, the peace and solitude that we have in our lives today in Canada, I think we're very fortunate uh, to live in the country that we live in. So you can't take that for granted. I was also taught, uh, I think from a very young age that, um, you know, it's important to, um, you know, to find a purpose and, uh, you know, work as hard as you can to, uh, you know, to achieve your potential for me to achieve my potential. That, uh, uh Dude, you're like, my brain's already firing. Finding your purpose. Was that a, was that a, like an intentional conversation that was being, that was being had back then? Or was it just kind of, were you listening and watching or how did that, like, that's a, that's an interesting word to use at a young age. It is, you know, so, um, you know, growing up as a, a grandchild of Holocaust survivors, um, you know, got, got the sense that, um, kind of the, the life of, um, you know, my, uh, predecessors in my family were cut short, right? And they never were able to realize their potential. So me as kind of the first of the family to be born in North America, all the unfulfilled hopes and expectations were put on me. Mm. Uh, a lot of them were put on me. Mm. 
And, uh, you know, so I, I'm, uh, the responsibility and sense of duty to, um, to, you know, honor the memory of, um, of the predecessors in my family, the, you know, the, those that didn't survive that, that uh, terrible human atrocity and, um, you know, take this opportunity that I have to live in a wonderful country free and, uh, use it for as a, you know, as a force for good. I, and I, you know, it was specific conversations about it, but it's kind of implicit just in the, in the way I was, uh, I was taught for mm. sure. Crazy. Yeah. Um, all right, keep going. That that I, I, I could ask you five thousand questions right now, but just keep 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 the story rolling. Yeah. yeah so uh, you know, so grew up with that with that foundation. Um, I grew up in Toronto, like I said. Uh, I spent uh, until the age of nine there. Uh, we had a, um, a family farm uh, that we used to go to on the weekend. Uh, so rather than a cottage, we had like a, a farm uh, that we actually worked. Like we grew stuff on it, and uh, my dad uh, turned the the what was the former tool shed into our uh, sleeping accommodations was very very basic we had an outhouse uh it was it was wild like we left the city to yeah. to spend the weekend there that was just kind of the way my dad was he 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 liked the he liked the simpler life and tried to you know share that with me some of those lessons have uh you know continued to today uh but then when i was um 9 years old uh my my late father uh was uh worked in the mining industry worked for Naranda Mines he got transferred out to Calgary in the mid '80s uh, to run uh, an oil and gas uh, oil and gas company, mm-hmm. one of Naranda's oil and gas companies, and that's kind of what brought us uh, out west. Out west, yeah. That um, that farm was it. Um, it was probably unique, right? There's probably like a lot of your peers were didn't have a family farm outside of Toronto, and yeah, the, everybody had a cottage. You know, yeah. they had the fancy cottages with the boats, but we had yeah. this like uh, working farm. Yeah, I was like, I uh, spent my childhood, you know, playing in the dirt. You know, I drew, started driving the tractor by myself when I was like six years old. <laughs> it was like, you know, I don't know, for some reason, my, uh, my dad thought I was uh, responsible enough to drive heavy equipment at that age. And, you know, I didn't get into any accidents. So he was, got all he was your right. limbs. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I got all my limbs still. So, yeah, it was great. It was a great way to spend, uh, you know, spend the weekends uh, when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, when I moved to Calgary, we didn't have a family farm uh, anymore, but, uh, it was, you know, it was great mm-hmm. or in my formative days for sure. So when you, when dad gets transferred out, it's kind of an interesting, like nine years old. So you're, I don't know what grade that is. That'd be grade four. Okay. So you're still like, you yeah. got, you got friends like yeah. you're kind of like building a foundation, but to be, you know, pulled across the country. Yeah. But you know, it's pretty easy to make friends at, uh, at that age. So yeah. So I moved here, you know, I had to, obviously it's scary, right? Mm-hmm. I think it would be even scarier as an adult to, mm-hmm. you know, to go through that situation, but a lot of people have been through it. So yeah, yeah moved here, uh, you know, made, uh, made great friends. And, uh, you know, I'm fortunate that a lot of the, the people that I was friends with, uh, you know, throughout elementary school and junior high are still like my, my best buddies, my crew. Isn't that, it, yeah. it, it's very unique, isn't it? I, I, I'm the same way. Yeah. And, and and a lot of them like uh, moved all over. You know, they've moved all over the world, different cities, have had different experiences, but you know, have come back uh, here to Calgary. We still hang out. We have kids, and uh, in some cases, our kids are like uh, you know really tight. Mm-hmm. So it's you know really cool to see that mm-hmm. uh, you know that second generation uh, going. And yeah, Calgary's Calgary's unique like unique like that. We are um, we're a big city, but also kind of a small town mm-hmm. at the same time, mm-hmm. at a community level. Is there other people in your world that have like elementary school friends or is it, is it kind of, are you unique in that way? Cause I am 
in my circle of friends, like when I'm telling people, yeah, like I was walking down the street by my by my house last week. I'm walking by this truck and I'm looking at this truck and there's a logo on it. I'm like, oh, that's interesting. Decent branding on their logo on their truck. And I look at I'm looking in the through the window and there's a guy sitting there. This guy, George Boothman. I went to school with him in kindergarten. And here we are, you know, I'm 46 now. And I and I, I see these people I grew up with in the same kind of neighborhood yeah. like within the 13 block radius of where I went to school. I just don't know if that happens like to everybody. If if people a lot of people have those similar experiences. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's probably not that uh, that that frequent because a lot of people don't end up, you know, living in the town mm-hmm. that they they grew up or the city that they grew up in. Uh, but yeah, it's uh, it's very special. Um, you know, some people would say that uh, if you're still friends with the people that you were friends with when you were a kid, it means you haven't grown that much. But uh, I, th- I would say that we've all grown together. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So uh, that's pretty cool that we still have those uh, totally. those common interests. And yeah, it's uh, it's great. It's like a like a big extended family. Mm-hmm. So what's going on when you get to Calgary? Like, what are you interested in back then? Like, oh, when I w- like going back? Like, uh, yeah, when you're yeah, like going that back, age. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so I was always pretty, uh, pretty into sports uh, growing up. Um, um, you know, in, uh, in junior high, uh, we had a basketball team and uh, got really uh, excited about basketball. And, uh, you know, that's, that's my favorite sport for sure. I mm. uh, love uh Used to love playing basketball, love watching basketball. Um, I think, um, you know, sports uh, is a really great way of, you know, teaching people life lessons. Um, you know, sports is more than just about, uh, you know, the, the game you're playing, the athletic competition. You know, it teaches, you know, uh, young people, uh, you know, about the need to, you know, to work hard, you know, as a result of working hard, you can see, you know, direct uh, improvement, mm-hmm. uh, you know, working together as a team, uh, you know, dealing with coaches, all those personalities. I think it's, you know, tremendous, uh, you know, tremendous life lessons. Uh, my late father was a, was a quite a active uh, volunteer basketball coach in Calgary for mm-hmm. many years. So I watched, uh, you know, the work that he did when I was very impressed with uh, the sort of impact he had on a, you know, a lot of, a lot of people that even to this day come up to me and say, Oh yeah, your dad was my coach and I learned mm-hmm. these things. And, mm-hmm. you know, we really miss him. He yeah. passed away uh, about nine years ago. Okay. Yeah. That, um, the idea of like learning all those lessons, like in sport, that they're all transferable into the business world. Did you, when did that, when did you realize all those lessons you learned that you were learning as a youngster, actually, they are lessons and you do have these, an interesting skill set when you start getting into the work world. Did it take a while to figure it out that, that the two were connected? No, I think it was, um, you know, uh, um, my father was a very wise man. My mother, uh, st- still around and, uh, love her a very nurturing, uh, mother as well. But, uh, you know, from the perspective of my father, he was always a very uh, thoughtful person and taught me, you know, some important lessons. So when I was doing something, um, he would remind me of the sort of things, uh, you know, that uh, I was intended to learn from it. So, yeah, I'd say I had a, I had a sense of awareness uh, of those things from a pretty young age because mm-hmm. I was fortunate that I had, you know, good guidance uh, from my parents. And uh, that's unique, you know, like, yeah, I'm, I'm, for, I'm for sure. I'm, I feel fortunate. To have had that. Because a lot of people, a lot of people, I won't even generalize. Some people's experience is different because, you know, they have to, they have to kind of figure that out later by themselves and like, you know, reflect back and then connect some dots. You were having those kind of conversations, 
you know, there's some intent behind these conversations. Absolutely. And, um, you know, I learned a lot from it. I, you know, and I try to, you know, be the same way um, with my kids, but maybe um, not quite as <laughs> intense about it. Mm. Like, I think, I think our job as parents is to really um, be observers and listeners and kind of observe and see what our kids are naturally uh, inclined to do and, um, you know, provide them, you know, the opportunities, uh, you know, to do that. You know, like my oldest daughter is really into performing and the fine arts and, uh, you know, so tried to encourage her and help her, uh, you know, pursue that. My middle daughter, uh, I used to watch her um, on the, uh, you know, the playground when she was like a you know, little kid and she was doing crazy stuff on, really? on the bars. Okay. Uh, so she did uh, competitive gymnastics for a while. Yeah. yeah she loved it. And, yeah. uh, my son, my boy, he's, uh, he loves basketball oh, just cool. like his dad. Mm. So, uh, so there's that. Yeah, there's that. Yeah. <laughs> um, the passion for basketball. I just finished, wa- finished watching the last dance. Oh yeah. That like, I just finished it yesterday. That's yeah. how far behind I am. Michael Jordan. Oh, yeah. Was that so for me, basketball was Sundays uh, watching the Bulls play. So that was what? So that was from 93 to, well, 90, 91 to 98 ish. Yeah. He obviously went and played ball and retired and did the rest of it. But yeah. I remember it, that's when I was really into basketball. Basketball mm-hmm. for me was Jordan on Sundays. And, and I was like, I didn't play basketball. I might have, no, I was never good enough to make junior high. Obviously, didn't play in high school. Like, I was, didn't have it in me. But Jordan, was he was my entry into basketball and and when he when he stopped playing i was done with basketball uh jordan uh you know this may be a controversial statement but jordan is the goat in my opinion i agree yeah and i've I've never seen a competitor like that like how many times uh yeah i also grew up watching michael jordan like obviously an unbelievable athlete but i think he had this like competitive streak that like he just refused to lose, right? Like how many times did you see Jordan with the, his, the ball in his hands right at the end and made that shot, right? Mm-hmm. Like so many times. Yeah, I've never seen a competitor in any sport, you know, quite like him. You know, maybe there's a, you know, uh, Tiger Woods yep. in, in golf, um, you know, another one that comes to mind, Wayne Gretzky in hockey. Yep. There's also some great basketball players. Obviously LeBron's a yep. great ball player. Yep. I don't know. I just think Jordan had this special something that I've never seen. Yeah, before. And do you think it was, um, or again, do you think it was the time in our life? You know, we were so, you know, we weren't, we were very, uh, uh, people just kind of, they could create more of an impact as we were youngsters, right? Yeah. And I don't know if we're older now that LeBron and even Kobe, like, we're older, we have our own lives. And, you know, we, Jordan was just this, like, super being. Yeah, but then you know, then the then the generation before would say, "Oh, yeah, it was like uh, Will Chamberlain, yeah. or you know what yeah, I mean." Yeah, totally. So yeah, maybe maybe it's just uh, because it's so burned into our minds. But I, you know, I do think there is, uh, you know, definitely some truth. You know, that who's the goat is obviously going to be debated, but like his competitive fire and mm. his competitive spirit and uh, mm. the stuff that he did in the air mm. and the style that he did it mm. with, with his tongue out, mm-hmm. he just introduced this whole new uh, yeah. element. Uh, to the game that um so when you're playing ball uh junior high high school is it is it kind of the thing that gives you meaning you know as a youngster is it your part of your identity for sure yeah um 
That's a good. That's actually a good question. Yeah, I, I you know, and I think it's uh, indicative of my type of personality as well, which carried through. Um, I think in my professional career, yeah, I was uh, super into basketball. Uh, it was you know, um, you know, felt you know proud of, yeah. of it. I was I was I wasn't amazing, but it, you know, I was pretty. I was decent. Not good enough to play university, but I had a good time playing ball, and yeah, definitely felt. Felt good about it. We won a city championship one year. Oh, and, uh, yeah, so yeah, so so we had some good times. Uh, had some good times with it. But um, you know, then when I got into university, um, you know, for one, it was difficult to manage. Uh, you know, a time commitment, at least for me, with uh, you know being able to play an extracurricular sport. I probably wasn't quite good enough to make it, so I played intramural basketball, and then it kind of like basketball kind of faded away or sports kind of faded away mm -hmm. and then uh you know tried to channel my own competitive fire because I, i'm a pretty competitive person as well <laughs> uh, is that an understatement <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah just a little bit i try to try to try to keep it uh in check now that i'm older but but you know i tried definitely tried to channel that towards business and that became my new passion mm. was uh was business um and um did it give yeah, you that same? Did it give you the same like um, release, or you know, just give you the same feels that you were looking for? Yeah, you know, maybe um, maybe emotionally, yeah, for sure. I think it gave me the same type of um, you know release for my uh, my emotional and mental energy. But um, you know, I, w I wish I had a, a a different story to tell. But I'm not great at balance, so. Um, I, um, you know, I got really into work for a long time. Like I, um, sure, let's go. Yeah. For, yeah. Yeah. I'm going back to balance for sure. Yeah. Walk me through university. I'd love to, I'd love to hear, um, what program you went into, what was interesting to you and then why you kind of, you know, why you chose that path. Yeah. So I did, uh, I went to the university of Toronto. So born in Toronto, moved back, moved to Calgary when I was nine. Then I moved back to Toronto, uh, for university. I went to the university of Toronto based on because they had a program you're interested in based on just wanting to get back just leave home for a while or um well i wanted to go to the best school that i could in canada mm. and um, um so i did a computer science degree Oof. uh and university of toronto waterloo those were kind of the top and mm -hmm. i was deciding back and forth uh, between the two my uh my uncle and my dad both graduated from the university of toronto so <clears throat> you went. Continue the family tradition. Went to University of Toronto. Were you um, uh, very capable in school? I come out of high school. Did you have the marks? Kind of pick and choose where you wanted to go. I was. Um, I wasn't a great student, but I got good marks. Mm. I uh, I managed to to get by. So I had good enough marks to get into pretty much any program. That not I wouldn't say every program, yeah. but any any probably much any program in any uh, school in Canada. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so chose uh, University of Toronto because cool. I, you know, thought it was the best, and I had a little urging from my yeah. family. A little bit urging, <laughs> little... or were you cool with um, kind of continuing the family legacy? That was cool with it. Yeah, yeah. Toronto was a great, uh, great city uh, to to spend university in. Like mm. we lived downtown Toronto, uh, had a lot of fun in, uh, with my with my buddies. So I'm, you know, my buddies from university, yeah. still friends with them too. Um, I wasn't a, uh, again. I, I I'm, was never a great student. I didn't really like school. Mm -hmm. uh, I always saw school as a means to uh, an end, and that was you know preparing me for um, 
you know, something in, in business. Yep. That was always something I was interested in. Yep. Um, yeah, so I managed, did, did okay. Probably did. didn't want to go to graduate school, never a goal. I just wanted to work. So um, I ended up getting a job while I was um, in my, I think it was in my third year of university. I worked, got a job at Ernst & Young, EY, a big, uh, mm-hmm. uh, big uh, professional services firm. And um, so I was going to school full-time, working like part to full-time. Yep. So, I, you know, so I had a lot of fun at university. I did my share partying and stuff. But, um, you know, and actually I did have my, I did have my uh, setbacks. So I, I, um, I didn't do great one semester. <laughs> And um, so I ended up getting, um, you know, taking a break for mm-hmm. a semester from school mm-hmm. just to try to get myself uh, together yeah. in terms of what I wanted to do. So what I did for that semester is I drove uh, an auto parts delivery truck. Awesome. Yeah, I got paid like uh, $6 an hour, I think. After tax, it ended up being like $4. And <laughs> I don't know. Anyways, it wasn't a, very, it wasn't a lot of money for sure. And... Um, you know, drove around, uh, you know, delivering packages to these, uh, you know, garages, mm-hmm. right? And I remember, uh, and I had like, you know, 40 deliveries to do a day all over Toronto. Uh, and, uh, you know, went into this one shop and something was messed up in the order. And he's, the guy looks at me, he's like, are you some kind of idiot? And I, it, that just like stuck in my mind, like, this guy you know, who's working in the garage is calling me an idiot. And I, I just don't want to be part of, yeah. you know, there's smart people who work in a garage. I'm not, yeah, yeah. but it's just like, I don't want to just be, I don't want to be around that scene where I'm like at the bottom of the, yeah. the, the they, rung, right? They, they're assuming a bunch of things. They're assuming a bunch of things and, then just, I'm giving this, and just giving it to me. <clears throat> so uh, that was like, that moment was a wake up call. And then I, um, then I, I was done with my break from school. And I'm like, okay, I'm getting serious now. And that's, you know, and I started getting, you know, better at school, yep. putting more focus on it, got this job working mm-hmm. at EY while I was going to school. And that mm-hmm. really, I think, launched me to a, um, you know, quick career progression, mm-hmm. relatively quick career progression. And that, um, the, like, the nonchalant attitude towards school, it just because you knew that you just needed to get something, you needed this piece of paper so you can get to where you wanted to go. Yeah. Just, it's <laughs> just... That was just who you were. It's just, it's just who I am. Yeah, I, I'm um, a pretty independent-minded person, and um, I like to uh, do things for my own reasons. Mm-hmm. I have to, you know, decide for myself that it's the right thing to do. Yeah. So just like uh, uh, I didn't like, uh, you know, people telling me what to do. I don't like yeah. people telling me what to do. I didn't like my teachers telling me Join what to club. do. I don't like, you know, I just. <laughs> So, yeah, and, you know, in my professional career, I start, I've started my own multiple of my own businesses. I don't like to be told what to do. However, however, I did learn, and actually I always knew this, it, you know, find people that you respect as mentors. Mm. And I do listen, you know, to the people that I choose mm-hmm. <laughs> to listen to, but I, I have a hard time uh, arbitrarily being told to do something. It's, it's an interesting, uh, it's an interesting feeling to navigate with life, right? Like for me, it was like coaches. If there was a good coach, loved it. I'm on board. Yeah. If, if the coach, if, if him and I didn't jam, man, it was just this authority figure in my life that just drove me crazy. Yeah. And then school is the same thing. 
you know, these people telling me things I need to learn. I'm like, I'm never going to use this. When who are you? You're telling, like, there's no context here. And I just, I feel the same way. However, so, so now I'm just, now I see my own kids, right? So, uh, my, my, uh, oldest daughter is at, uh, is at UFC, just finished her first year of university. Yep. My middle daughter's at Western, uh, yeah, my son's, um, son's at Rideau in junior high. And, you know, then I hear them saying, uh, well, why am I learning this? Because I'm never going to need this in real life. And what I tell them is like, you don't, you can't say that right now. You don't know, mm-hmm. like, uh, keep your options open, mm-hmm. you know, until you really, you know, narrow on exactly what you want to do. It's best to, you know, to keep your mm-hmm. options, uh, open. So, you know, hopefully they're, uh, you know, a little more diligent in school than, than I was, but you know, I, I got by, I did what I had to do, yeah. got through university, got by, but, you know, just, um, trying to, you know, reflect on, uh, you know, how one grew up and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, how you can mm-hmm. improve on that and try mm-hmm. to try to improve on that, which is, kids, yeah. I don't have kids, but I find that, you know, being wired the way you're wired, I, that'd be a, an interesting <laughs> experiment. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So my kids are, you know, can also be pretty strong headed, but they're, but they're kind, they're kind, uh, people. And, uh, you know, that's, yeah, that's, I think the, what you. you can most, uh, hope for in your, in your children, healthy, yeah. kind yeah. people. Um, so you graduate university, still at EY. What'd you graduate Gra- to computer science? Computer science yep. from uh, University of Toronto. And uh, yeah, so I was still, I was working at, there was overlap of about uh, two years um, at the end while I was working and going to school. And, um, you know, so I, I graduated uh, university in uh, 95 or 96, around that time. Yep. And uh, it was right around the time that this new technology called the internet was <laughs> was rolling out, right? Isn't that crazy to say out loud, though? Yeah, I know it is. It's wild. And, it's wild. And so, your what's your first experience with the internet? What's, what's your, like, what's okay, so my first experience with the internet was when I was in uh, you know university in computer science, and I you know starting to talk about the internet. But the internet was not yet uh, permitted to be used for commercial purposes. Mm. That didn't come until later on in in the nineties. Mm-hmm. There was still this debate about was it just an academic tool or business tool, and then obviously the business <laughs> business side of it won out. But I remember uh, okay, I got to figure out how to get on the internet. So I remember I I got. Uh, I think it was like AOL. Yeah. yeah, I signed up for AOL, and they had like their own proprietary screen. And there was this one thing, you know, web, you know, web browser. And I remember clicking on it, and I'm like, okay, so that's the uh, internet. <laughs> now where do I go, right? And then there was this. Uh, so there, was the, then I see search engines, mm-hmm. and there was this one search engine called Yahoo. Mm-hmm. I thought that was the best name, so I clicked on Yahoo and. And I just started typing, and there wasn't much on the internet at that no. time. Yeah. Uh, computer lab at school—is that when you first? Yeah, I, I, computer away? lab at school, and then I had had it set up uh, yeah. in my uh, in my room in the house that we lived in. And yeah, so funny. Yeah, yeah. It's so, it's so ridiculous that that was actually a time, you know, like the start of the internet. <laughs> like yeah, it's, yeah, it's uh, it's wild, and um, yeah, uh, you know, so my career—I've kind of made my career in um, in disruption. Mm. Right. I uh, so I started my career, um, you know, when the Internet was in its in in its infancy. And even though I was just, um, you know, I graduated university, uh, nobody had nobody knew anything about the Internet at that time. Like it was all new. So Mm. I, um, you know, relatively speaking, got to uh, be involved in, uh, you know, quite a number of really interesting, you know, leading edge initiatives at EY because I was one of the few people at that time who. 
you know, knew, uh, knew about the internet and I had, uh, you know, great mentors at the, at, the, at that job. My, my first boss, um, was a wonderful guy, um, at, uh, at EY, great, great mentor and, mm-hmm. you know, gave me, uh, the ability to kind of, uh, get into things and figure it out. Gave me a lot of rope and, cool. uh, and I didn't let him down. I did good work. Yeah. So what were you, um, what were you up to? Like, what was it when you're like, Discovering the internet early in your career, what were you working on? So, um, so I worked in the uh, electronic publishing department of um, EY, and what they did is they distributed um, you know, the, the updates to the Tax Act and other income tax things on CD-ROM on a quarterly basis, which was a novel thing on CD-ROM. Uh, so then, you know, then when the internet started becoming more prolific, we migrated a lot of that content to uh, the web. Yeah. So I was involved in that, and then I got involved in, uh, you know, some uh, consulting projects. Got ro- pulled into some uh, interesting uh, consulting projects. Uh, worked on uh, Canadian Tire, one of Canadian Tire's first e-commerce uh, cool. initiatives. Uh, CR, one of the CRA's uh, early e-commerce initiatives. Mm. Uh, yeah, so I got to be involved. Worked on the Eaton's uh, bankruptcy. Mm. Yeah, worked on some cool, you know, some cool stuff. Yeah, uh, early like big on. brand things. Oh yeah, big brand things. Yep. And uh, yeah, really trying to apply this, um, you know, new technology to apply, you know, to solve business yep. uh, challenges. And because uh, you know, I was, I was decent technically. But I think where I really stood out from, um, you know, a lot of my fellow classmates is my ability to communicate relatively well mm. compared to a lot of yeah. uh, the computer science graduates yeah. at the time. So I was a you know good bridge between uh, business and uh, and the technology. Yeah. yeah, you could kind of listen to what somebody might want. Yeah, understand what what is uh, possible technically, and then be able to articulate it in a way that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that, so that's what. So 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 that um, really helped me develop a phenomenal skill set at a, a early part of my career. It's just going into these situations, and I worked for EY. I also worked for PwC. I also worked for um, uh, another um, U.S.-based uh, consulting firm called Cambridge Technology Partners, mm. which was founded on the um, campus of MIT. So I, I had a my early career was in consulting. Yep, and. Um, so you go into a situation that you don't understand. You have to like figure it out really quickly and translate it into a way that, you know, can uh, can help a system be designed to mm-hmm. to solve that problem. <clears throat> so that was a great way um, of developing my career because then I uh, I knew no matter what problem I was faced with, I had the skills to kind of break it down and, yeah. and figure it out. So. You bounced around between a bunch of big, like those are big consulting yeah. gigs. Yeah. Um, all out east, or did you? When did things? So um, what happens after that? So then, um, so then at um, at the age of um, twenty four. So this is all. This is all. This like, is quick. Like yeah, like I started working when I was twenty, and I and uh, till almost the age of twenty five, I was working consulting. Part of it while while I was in school, mm-hmm. part of it outside of school. Um, but I really, uh, you know, I grew up with um, entrepreneurial father. It was tremendous uh, influence that way for me, <clears throat> and um, I really had an entrepreneurial attitude. I couldn't wait for the opportunity to um, to go out on my own and try something um, new. So did he? 
Sorry. Did yeah. he did he talk to you about that? Or did you, were you watching? Well, I it? spent a lot of time talking to him. Yeah, he was uh, he was, you know, really tremendous uh, mentor in my mm. life. Probably, I'd say my dad was probably the strongest uh, mm. mentor I had in my life. I've had lots. My mom, my grandparents, but my dad, uh, for sure. My uncles and aunts, but my dad, um, and uh, yeah, I talked to him about a lot of this, uh, mm. a lot of this stuff for sure. So you yeah. worked it out. You guys would just have these open discussions, working out this these ideas or the yeah. understanding that world and. Yeah, and uh, you know he he always uh, was very positive with me. Like always mm. told me that like, you you know can do anything you set your mind to, Danny. And uh, yeah, I believed that. Mm. I, I I drank the Kool Aid, mm. <laughs> so. which is like, but it's hard not to when it's coming from your dad. Like yeah, yeah, this was, person knows you, so yeah, no, for sure. I was again very very fortunate mm. for that. Um, yeah, so. Um, Started a, um, you know, software company. So I, I left consulting, started a software company to try to apply, um, you know, internet-based technologies uh, to the oil and gas sector uh, here in Calgary. Mm -hmm. It was a sector that, I, th this is like going back to like 1999. Uh, we've got a long way to go still. Hey, <laughs> We're at 99. Got, we got awesome. two hours. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> uh, so anyway, started... Uh, Move back to Calgary to start this? Yeah, so I... I um, yeah, I moved back to Calgary uh, to start this. Okay. There was a period of time where it overlapped with uh, my work in consulting, mm -hmm. uh, but ultimately that's what brought me back uh, to Calgary. Mm -hmm. And um, what was it called? What'd you call it? Roughneck. Yeah, Roughneck.ca was the name of the software. And what it did is it uh, it was a uh, an internet-based uh, software application, mm -hmm. cloud-based. Oh no way. In 1999, Which but is, the cloud wasn't even a term that people were talking about. Like, to me, I just thought it was intuitive that rather than building like these um, client-server applications with like a heavy client and mm -hmm. you you do everything through the web browser, right? And so JavaScript and uh, Java and yep. Cold Fusion was the language <laughs> it was built in. But anyway, so um, it was all a web-based application. Um, it um, it took off uh, not right away, but um, there was some regulatory changes that happened and it really it really took off and um, yeah and then I had uh, an exit uh, from that uh, that company mm. um, uh, in 2005 yep and um, one of the things that my software did it was it was an operations management suite for the oil and gas sector and one of the capabilities of the software was to uh, manage and report greenhouse gas emissions Come in. for oil and gas companies in the early 2000s. Which is, it's early. That's early, yeah. Like that's early in that discussion. That's early, yeah. So it's early on in the technology <laughs> and early on in the, especially early on in the discussion on environmental. Uh, and, I, you know, so that could, that helped me realize that there was, a, you know, looming environmental challenges mm. that the oil and gas industry was facing, the energy yeah. industry was facing, um, and had an exit from that company, a successful exit. And uh, sorry, before you go there, yeah, I'd love to know, you know, spinning up your first business, you know, the you're kind, you're kind of you're you were you had the skills to pull it off. Was it was it um, everything you expected? Was it was it smooth? Was there did you accomplish what you wanted to accomplish? And you kind of like the plan was thought out and uh, yes. Yeah, so um, no, I, le I learned a lot, right? 
uh, and I'm always learning a lot. Uh, I've been an entrepreneur since the age of 24, and I'm almost, you know, I'm almost 49, mm-hmm. turning 49 this year. So I've been an entrepreneur for almost a solid 25 years. Um, yeah, so, you know, what I've learned throughout that journey, and, you know, probably the first one taught it to me most intense, is that uh, <clears throat> plans always get disrupted by uh, forces outside of your control. You can have the best, uh, best plans best execution, but something outside of your control will derail those plans. Mm-hmm. So you have to be able to, to pivot. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that was a really important lesson. Everything takes a lot longer uh, than you would hope or expect. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, you know, perseverance is uh, absolutely key. You know, like uh, I've had so many uh, in my entrepreneurial vent- ventures, you know, multiple, you know, near death uh, experiences from a business perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, for some reason, I've always found a way to, you know, to prevail. And mm-hmm. I think it's just, uh, you know, learning, you know, learning those lessons. You know, in the case of Roughneck, my first uh, venture, you know, started up in 1999. There was a ton of capital available for, uh, you know, new software companies, you know, kind of Mm-hmm. What we're seeing, you know, now, but this is the first version, and then there was the dot com bubble mm-hmm. bursts, mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden there was no capital, and um, you know, so had to navigate through all that. Um, uh, but you know, like I said, successful through it, yeah. and then, um, you know, in hindsight, it was a bit of a crazy move, but uh, had a successful exit from that. Knew the next business that I wanted to get into was something that would be an exciting business challenge, but also one that could help. The environment, yeah, because that was that. Um, you, I'm sure you were seeing the response from your software, yeah. And was that conversation starting to heat up around the environment? And- For sure, yeah, definitely, uh, yeah, definitely was starting to heat up around the environment. Uh, but this is, you know, going back to the early, you know, early 2000s, right? So still, it's still a while ago. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's all relative, right? Like compared to where it's at today, it's uh, you know, it's in the main, it's a mainstream conversation. Mm-hmm. Then uh, I think it was probably more of a niche yep. uh, conversation. Uh, but it was just, um, you know, uh, another thing, I guess, another really important thing I learned through my entrepreneurial ventures is uh, it's really important to be passionate about what you do. So all those things, you know, mm-hmm. the, you know, uh, the perseverance, the, um, you know, just generally the, the perseverance, the ability to persevere like that only comes if you can tap into something mm-hmm. uh, inside you. Mm-hmm. Um, that seems to give you like an extra l- level of energy and strength yep. beyond what's normal. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I find, uh, you know, being involved in disruptive entrepreneurial initiatives is, uh, is it takes a lot of energy. Uh, it's uh, really, uh, you need to put your all into it. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, I was passionate about kind of, I've always been passionate about trying to uh, use business to improve the world in some way. Where does that come from? Did you, you say that now, obviously tons of experience. Um, when did that, when did you realize that was a thought that you needed to dig into? It's something that I just always, I've always felt, I think going back to the way I was brought up mm-hmm. with, um, you know, my, my grandparents being Holocaust survivors mm-hmm. and my parents being, you know, the product of that and me being the first in North mm-hmm. America and just the kind of the way, uh, I grew up in the, lessons I learned, you know, I'm of, uh, of Jewish, I'm of Jewish background. And, um, so a lot of really interesting things in, in that culture and, uh, that we learned. But one, one of the things is, uh, the concept of, it's called tikkun olam. 
uh, repairing the world and uh, believe that uh, we're all here uh, to, um, I believe, and I was taught that we're all here to leave the world uh, better than it was before we got here. Mm. And it doesn't have to be in business. It can be in any way that you want to you want to apply it, like as an artist, as a politician, as a you know customer service agent, as mm. uh, you know somebody doing podcasts, mm. right? Like, uh, or a business person, or a spir- spiritual leader. Any you know, think of any any role that you have. Um, yeah, I think if you can uh, leave the world better through you know making you know, passing lessons along to people, yeah. leaving. You know, my case, what we're doing now, massive renewable energy infrastructure, um, you know, those are all things uh, that better the world, I believe. And uh, yeah, so if you can find in, find one of those things that you're passionate about, mm-hmm. that's a pretty awesome thing. Does that start tying into purpose? Do those? Yes. Does that kind of where that conversation kind of gets to come together? Yeah, I, yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think I, I think it's really important to, um, you know, live one's life with purpose and, uh, you know, if you're going to be in business, uh, I think that purpose is more than just making money. Obviously, mm-hmm. you're in business to make money, but I think also to, you know, if you look at it from a lens of, you know, what am I doing to, to make the world better in some way? It doesn't have to be lofty, yep. but whatever it is. I yep. think if you can look at things from, a, from that type of lens, um, it will enable you to tap into things that you might not otherwise be able to. Interesting. And that could be that extra energy or that perseverance to actually make it all happen. Yeah. And one's purpose can oscillate too, right? Like, uh, you know, um, life has, uh, you know, various phases and, you know, I think the purpose could uh, could shift, mm-hmm. right? Like the specific purpose, yep. right? But uh, I think, the, you know, those those guiding, guiding principles, I think are pretty important. Um, so the second company, you see, you see an opportunity tech, the environmental conversations getting getting going. What do you uh, what do you spin up? Yeah, so um, so had my exit from Roughneck. Yeah, and uh, I knew that. Uh, <clears throat> so I had some capital. I knew the next thing that I wanted to do was uh, something that would uh, be exciting. Like I said, exciting business challenge, and something that could also leave a uh, lasting positive environmental impact on the world because mm-hmm. that was something I've been passionate about for a long time and got reminded of that through my professional experience. Um, looked around, you know, started doing my research like a consultant, you know, <laughs> uh, would do. And then I got involved in, um, you know, some, some relatively small real estate development projects. Oh, like building houses and stuff like that. So kind of when I get bored, I, uh, I've done, done that a, a few times. Um, but uh, then I read this um, newspaper article about this group of entrepreneurs from Calgary that had uh, developed a wind farm and sold it for a profit. And it just uh, it was like an aha moment for me. I'm like, that's what I should do. I should apply my development skills to renewable energy. And um, so with no uh, previous experience in the uh, power sector, uh, I pretty much took all the money I had made on on uh, Roughneck and uh, started uh, Greengate uh, in uh, 2007 with wow. the goal of building out, um, you know, large scale renewable energy projects competing against multi-billion dollar incumbents. Uh, figured how hard could that be? 
hey, <laughs> where you go? Yeah. I had no idea it goes back that far. Yeah, yeah. 2007. So 2007, yes. Yeah, started in 2007. Uh, my co-founder, uh, my brother Jordan, um, who had uh, just graduated uh, school um, at that time. And, mm-hmm. you know, we started. My dad was a you know, great early mentor mm-hmm. uh, in the business uh, for me as well. But, yeah, um, you know, basically went into that. And uh, so even though I had my first entrepreneurial uh, venture, Roughneck, and lived through the ups and downs, I had no fucking clue what I was getting into with this, with this thing. It was, uh, it's been a really, really wild ride, right? So, like, go back, like, think of starting a renewable energy company in Calgary mm-hmm. of all places mm-hmm. in two thousand seven. It, it shouldn't be. It shouldn't be on the board. Like that shouldn't be. It, it shouldn't be. Shouldn't be on the board. But like, uh, um, you know, had a vision of uh, of what was happening like there there was uh you know renewable energy has been going going uh you know a growing industry for quite a quite a number of years uh you know, like even preceding 2007 right like there was stuff going on in germany and california and ontario mm-hmm. there were these places that were taking you know early action on climate change and um you know even alberta alberta was one of the first places in north america uh to um you know see um utility scale wind projects like down in the Pincher Creek area. That was like some of the first ones in North America, but never really took off the way it could. So, you know, I saw what was going on and elsewhere in the world. I'm like, well, we should be doing that uh, in Alberta. And and literally somebody else, um, wherever they were, Germany, California, wherever, they were putting large infrastructure into areas that was going to be for renewable energy, whether it's wind farms, solar, or whatever it was. Well, so so what was happening early on? So so the industry has been you know around for decades, and uh, you know originally the industry um, was built on um, you know on the backs of jurisdictions that wanted to take early action on climate change. So those places that I mentioned, California, Ontario, Germany. There's other examples, but just you know those three. Yep. They had like government programs where the government would offer long-term what they're called power purchase agreements where they would guarantee to buy the power from the projects mm. you know for like 20 years mm. at fixed prices mm-hmm. and uh, so on the back of those contracts you know projects were able to get financed uh, and uh, you know as a result uh, you know tremendous improvements in the R&D you know investments in R&D tremendous improvements in the technology of all those things and it really improved significantly to the point that it became uh, renewable energy became cost effective on a standalone basis without any, you know, government um, mm-hmm. subsidies of any kind. Like in the last couple of years, um, the International Energy Agency, the IEA, declared solar the lowest cost source of energy we've seen in the history of, you know, human civilization. Right. So, mm-hmm. like, they, it's it's a really disruptive force. But early on, it was helped out by you know these government policies. Yeah. So it was going on. Uh, Alberta is uh, the only uh, free electricity market, free market electricity, free uh, deregulated electricity market, Mm. free market principles in our uh, electricity market in Canada. So I thought, well, if renewables is starting to become competitive on a standalone basis, industries needing to decarbonize, you know, Alberta is a great place to do it. We've got tremendous uh, land base. Uh, tremendous renewable energy resources. Mm-hmm. Like it's really well known that Alberta's got a ton of oil and gas, mm-hmm. right? And I'm in favor of continuing to develop our oil and gas resources. Like the world's still using oil. We're transitioning um, 
our energy system, but it's going to take time. And I think as long as the world is using oil and gas, you know, it should be Alberta oil and gas. We're yeah. you know, very responsible in the way we produce it. But the shift is happening, right? And uh, so anyways, I've always been interested in the disruptive, mm-hmm. uh, you know, disruptive side of things. So um, what we did is, um, you know, so we took on a very ambitious program um, in, in a way that had never been done uh, in Alberta before. So at the time that we started um, investing in renewables in Alberta, uh, you know, th- at the time, the system operator, the the organization that's responsible for operating the the wires, mm-hmm. you know, the things that carry the electricity to our homes, uh, the transmission system, uh, they had put a moratorium on new wind development. They said we're not going to allow more than nine hundred m- megawatts. That's the unit to use in in uh, power of renewables on the grid. And everybody was like freaking out about that, right? And everybody was kind of like stunned. I'm like, okay, that's the moment for us to make an aggressive move. Is didn't see how that was like sustainable. Mm-hmm. You know, it just wasn't a very very good optics. So we went out and acquired like 200,000 acres of uh, land, wind land across the province. It was like one of the biggest uh, land acquisition programs, uh, I think, in the history of the province in any industry. No way. Uh, and uh, secured this really great base of land, you know, started uh, permitting the projects, developing those projects. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, you know, things were looking very bright. And then uh, we got hit with the uh, global financial crisis in, uh, in 2008. Uh, and, uh, and you're in deep by this, but like. Oh, I'm in deep. I'm in deep. <laughs> yeah, I'm like all in. And. Um, and, uh, you know, then the, the financial crisis hit in 2008 and I'm like, okay, I'm going to, I'm willing to put a lot of money, but I'm like, I don't want to like, you know, mortgage my house. That was my, you yeah, know, that was your no go. Yeah. But, um, I didn't have a choice in 2008. Uh, there was nowhere, basically nowhere to raise money. Like mm. went from like lots of money to it's shutting down overnight. It was like the dot com bubble yeah. bursting yeah, again. Yeah. And this is in 2008. We're in 2023 now, but it still seems like, like yesterday. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I, you know, I went all in. I mortgaged my house, like completely, like all in on this thing, and to the point where failure is is not an option. Mm-hmm. You know, I could have made a different decision, I guess, in 2008. Say, well, pack it come up. back, pack it up, and come back at a different time. But yeah. um, fortunately, that's not the decision I made. Yeah, that um, like to go that all in, you know, to go to go to your no go zone, which is the mortgage of the house. Yeah. Um, how uncomfortable was it? Like, is it was this- very uncomfortable. Yeah, very uncomfortable. It was, um, it was uh, like a very, very uh, intense period um, for me, for sure. Um, but yeah, no, I, I, I got through it. Yeah, no, it was a tr- tr- felt like a tremendous uh, weight, mm. you know, to, mm. you know, I mortgage my house. I, you know, it also raised, you know, capital from, uh, you know, third parties and this mm. huge responsibility. To try to to try to make this uh, this thing a success, yep. um, and uh, you know we were we were able to like through some really you know wild ups and downs. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we were able to ultimately get uh, our first project off the ground, which was uh, at the time the largest wind farm in the province. Um, Where's that one? 
that's in, uh, you know, we don't own it anymore. We right. were the developers of it and we, yeah. we sold it to a big utility uh, when it was at the start of construction. But uh, that's in um, the county of Paintearth. Okay. Um, about 150 kilometers east of Red Deer. So mm. it's in central Alberta. And then, so that was the largest wind farm in the province. Then we followed that up with, with what at the time uh, was the largest wind farm in the country. Uh, so we're able to get that off the ground. Uh, and, uh, you know, now we have a number of other projects that uh, are being, were being constructed, but we followed that up with uh, what was uh, the largest, uh, what is the largest solar farm uh, in the country. We developed that project. It was just completed uh, at the end of last year. No way. A project, a project called Traverse Solar. Oh. Uh, uh, we developed it. Amazon's buying uh, most of the power that's produced from it. Hmm. Uh, that one's massive. That one's massive. Like, yeah, like for it's, context, just like say, I don't know what the square footage or how you articulate how big it is. Yeah, so it's uh, you know it's a thirty three hundred acre solar project with one point three million uh, solar panels. Uh, you know, in Vulcan County, Alberta, so between here and Lethbridge. Mm -hmm. You know, to put that into perspective, it's like a, a third of the size of the island of Manhattan. So you just like. Kind of go from Central Park. If you've been to yep, Manhattan, yeah, yeah, yeah. like Central Park South, mm -hmm. cover that all with solar panels. That's like uh, that's the size of the project. It's pretty, pretty amazing, uh, amazing site. And I think it's, um, you know, so again, we're, we we were the developers of the project. Uh, we brought in a big investor um, to fund the project at the start of construction. So mm -hmm. we don't own it yep. uh, anymore, but it's part of our uh, part of our legacy for mm -hmm. sure. We're really excited about it. It produces, you know, enough energy like the, the equivalent of 150,000 homes and it's uh you know what a cool thing right mm -hmm. like uh you know in Alberta we have the largest you know what was at the time the largest wind farm in the country we now have the largest solar farm in the country by far a uh, very different look uh for Alberta right mm -hmm. and uh I think you know I I'm really proud of I think the work that uh Greengate my team uh, has done has uh, you know really paved the way for you know a lot of other projects mm -hmm. to be built. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, renewable energy is booming now in yeah. Alberta. Re Alberta, which used to be you know Canada's oil and gas capital, I think is truly becoming Canada's energy capital mm -hmm. with uh, you know the tremendous renewables growth we're seeing and the and the oil and, and oil and gas. And I think it's great for our economy. It's great for the environment. It creates jobs. Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah, that like, so talk about passion. Yeah, I was mm -hmm. super passionate about all that uh, work we've we've mm -hmm. done. Uh, you know, really proud of it. How does um, the idea of uh, starting a business with your brother, family dynamics, the ups and downs of this like the, that energy industry? What is it without family? You know, do you get through it? with families that kind of um, let you scale it to where it is right now? Like, where does that piece fit in? Yeah, um, so in our, so in my case, um, yeah, I've been working with my family for, for a long time. So like I said, my, uh, my late father was a great mentor for me. Uh, I co-founded Green Gate with my brother, Jordan. Uh, my other brother, Mike, uh, uh, was, also, was also involved uh, in the business. Mm. Um, yeah, I mean, it was, you know, t tremendous. Like, it has its advantages and disadvantages. Yeah. Um, but I'd say in our case, it's been very successful. Like, 
there's a level of trust I feel like you can have with family that's difficult to, uh, you know, to replicate uh, with others. Yep. Um, did you know? Did you know that, you know, coming up with the the idea to start this business that you needed that support, you know, the family support. Or was it just like there was a skill set there, and you're like, we can we can pull this off. It was. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, it, I've always been very close with my family. Mm. So, um, yeah, I think it was it was great. You know, my brother was graduating school with, the, you know, the right right skill set. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, my other brother, um, you know, had, you know, had skills to contribute to, you know, to the company as well. And I guess it was just my, uh, you know, naturally my first stop. Mm-hmm. You know, but we, we hired, I've been forced to work with a lot of other people that are not family <laughs> that have been great. Um yeah, and I think, uh, you know, I'm fortunate that both my brothers were, you know, bright, hardworking uh, individuals that are really, really dedicated. So it's, you know, enabled enabled us to get through what was uh, at times a really uh, scary ride. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so, yeah, so it's great. You know, in my case, I think just the nature of the way we grew, grew up, yep. um, it worked. Mm-hmm. Just the way our relationship, it doesn't work for everybody, mm-hmm. but... You know, it, you know, it worked uh, worked for us so far. <laughs> so far, yeah. That um, riding those ups and downs, being a business owner, and like you know, in this industry that's growing and changing. You know, people see. I've been on this like this this conversation thread for the last few guests. You know, people see you at the end of it, right? They see you of what you've created and what you're working on and the projects. They see that piece. All the all the all the moments to get to that place. I feel like the, like those ups and downs. What what is it that you know you touched on it earlier? Is it just that like internal? It's your purpose. It's your passion, and you're just willing to go through those ups and downs. Like is that the? Yeah. So I think um, you know for um, for any uh, new entrepreneur, I think it has to start with passion, because like I said, uh, I think with passion lets you tap into that like extra mm-hmm. bank of energy. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so you know you have to uh, you you have to have uh, passion. It helps to have um, you know great mentors, uh, you know to you know to bounce uh, things off of. But yeah, I think passion is uh, is is tremendously important. Without passion, it's very difficult to to you know persevere through through challenging times. Mm-hmm. But yeah, being an entrepreneur is not an easy path. Like. Um, it's uh, glamorized for sure, and I, I bought into that very early on. I was all excited about it. Own boss, own schedule, yeah. own holidays, whatever. Like, <laughs> yeah, but uh, you know, you're you're um, you know, you're uh, living and dying by your own sword, right? Like, there's nowhere to hide, right? Like, when you're in a big company, you're like, oh, I wish I could do my own thing. But when you're a big company, you can hide, right? Like, something goes wrong. You don't really know, you know whose fault. It's not going to be fatal to the company. Everything goes on, right? But when you got uh, your your own uh, entrepreneurial venture that you're leading, you got your own money. You've got uh, you know uh, investor money in the business. It's a huge, huge responsibility. And if something goes wrong, it like it stops with you, right? Mm-hmm. Like the global financial crisis had nothing to do with me, yet it had a huge impact on my business. And ultimately, it was on my shoulders yep. to try to figure out a you know solution to that, and um, 
you know, great family support, great, uh, you know, great support all around from the people that you love is, is important. But, uh, yeah, just being able to go and tap into that, uh, is, is, is really key. I think the idea of like, it all stops, like live and die by your sword. And this is like my own personal question that me started my own thing and kind of trying to figure this out on the fly. The, is it the is it finding mentors that you can have those honest conversations with when you're when you can tell somebody like hey I'm like I'm feeling this like there's no who do you need to talk to when you're about to deal with some difficult times? Yeah, so you know, so in my case, I uh, I was I had a peer group that I was involved in. I used to be part of Entrepreneurs Organization EO. Oh yeah, we had a forum that I was part of mm-hmm. for many years, and that mm-hmm. was you know a great way of. Um, of sharing experiences because I think uh, entrepreneurs have um, unique uh, set of experiences. Everybody has a unique set of experiences, but entrepreneurs do too. Yep. It's a very intense lifestyle. There's uh, work-life balance. There's uh, wellness versus work uh, considerations. So you know, having that sort of peer group. Um, mm-hmm. You know, my board of directors. You know, was a great sounding board. Some of my key advisors, like lawyers, bankers. Mm-hmm. But I think for me, it's um, in my case, uh, you know, having uh, my family involved in the business as well. You know, I had people that I love that I was able to, uh, you know, to, um, you know, to share share some of those ups and downs, you can be uh, honest. Downs, and ups and downs with. Yeah, yeah. Um, I wanted to drag it back to a point because it's fascinating to me is the balance piece. You were you were going to get into balance, and I'm I'm curious because I've had the balance conversation with. Numerous guests. Yeah, I'd love to hear your your where you're going to take that. I suck at balance, <laughs> and you and you know it though, right? <laughs> yeah, I know it. Um, but I am I am actively <clears throat> working on uh, improving uh, my balance. So, you know, so I, I I've chosen entrepreneurial career of um, t- taking on these disruptive uh, initiatives. Um, some cases quite large, like the largest projects in the history of the country, uh, in the backyard of multi-billion dollar incumbents that uh, don't always uh, have an interest in success of others. Mm-hmm. So I chose this crazy, uh, this crazy path, uh, and in order to be successful on it, in it, uh, I felt like it was all-consuming for me. Uh, in some cases. Um, you know, the expense of, uh, you know, my uh, interpersonal relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, like I'm, I'm divorced. Mm-hmm. Um, I have three kids. They're with me. I have them f- 50% of the time, which is great. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyways, it, it, I, you know, I'm, I'm divorced. Uh, I'm still fortunately, uh, you know, on good terms with, uh, with my kid's mom. Mm-hmm. Um, it's all amicable, able to sort through that. But, you know, t- t- you know it takes a toll on interpersonal relationships. I have a new partner, wonderful uh, woman, Marion, in my life now. Um, but um, I think uh, it take it's important to not become consumed by business. Uh, I'm almost 49 now, and I'm looking back. Uh, I have the opportunity to reflect, and uh, it's been a wild ride, but it's not the most important thing in life. Mm. It can sometimes feel like it, but it's not. Do you... Do you think without that imbalance, as you're building this business, do you think it actually could have got to where it is right now without, like if you were trying to look for balance while you're building it, could you have got to where it is today? If I like was, you know, very deliberate about carving out like me time, 
which is difficult to do. Like, um, you know, when you've got so many competing, uh, competing interests for your time and, you know, when you're, you know, building a company, everything's like, uh, on fire, right. All the time. So like everything's a high priority, but I think it's really important to, um, to prioritize me time, a small amount of me time over anything that comes up in business. It's a technique I'm trying to, trying to work on, right? Yeah, but yeah. like certain, you know, certain things that you do for yourself yeah. that uh, don't get uh, knocked out of your schedule because there's a more important business priority. Yeah. <clears throat> and whatever that is, like uh, I think um, trying to balance, like I think um, time to take care of your physical yeah. health. Physical health helps your mental health, mm-hmm. which helps your performance uh, in general. It, you know, like, so I'm going through a bit of a, a transitionary period for me. Uh, yeah, at the end of last year, we closed a couple, you know, very large transactions. So, um, and, and one of those transactions involved half of my team, uh, including my, one of my brothers, going over to uh, the buyer of that portfolio. And I'm very happy uh, with how that's going. My team's happy uh, and... Um, but you know, it's, it's it's this time. It's giving me this time of much more intense reflection. And um, you know, Marion, my my partner, has uh, urged me to uh, you know make sure that I take care of myself as well as taking care of my business affairs. And and <clears throat> matter. Some oversight, but just the way you built it, right? It was just it wasn't it wasn't on the radar as a priority for me. I'm gonna listen. I'm not playing in like any space that you are at any level. But my thing for me is I ride my bike every single morning, every single like five days a week. Well, it's brilliant. And 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 for me, just starting out, it just kind of gives me this time by myself to just think and just rattle through different ideas. And for whatever reason, to your point, it lets me sleep better. I can function like my brain is working. So yeah, it's it's it feels like an important thing to start with. Absolutely. I think, uh, you know, having that in your life is really important. I kind of lost a little bit of that for a while. I've had my, you know, I've had my periods of time where I was, uh, you know, focused on it and was able to manage both. But I'd say, you know, most of my career hasn't been well balanced. Yeah. And now I'm trying to, uh, you know, to focus, uh, uh, focus on it more. And, uh, you know, like, um, you know, COVID was also quite a, you know, quite a game changer, I think, uh, for a lot of people, um, you know, terrible, you know, the, a lot of, you know, human tragedy that came out of it. You know, I know people that lost parents and lost friends and, you know, it's really, really terrible. And then, uh, you know, the, um, the lockdowns, which, you know, really disrupted, uh, people's livelihoods, which, you know, also really sucked. And the, polarization in our society. So a lot of things about it sucked and we're still dealing with it. But I tried to find the silver lining in things. So for me, it was like a, a reset of, um, you know, the way I was I was doing things, right? Like I was, you know, living in the office and, you know, after work going out. You know, still, still I had to manage my kids. So I, the, you know, um, my, um, my work-life balance is oddly enough, it improved uh, when I went from being partially responsible for my kids 
on a full-time basis mm -hmm. to being fully responsible for my kids on a part-time basis, like half-time, that really, uh, so when I, you know, when I unfortunately got divorced, that, uh, that introduced that, that change, which was a positive thing for myself, my work-life balance. So the last several years have been better. But then COVID was a whole other thing, right? So instead of having to go into the office all the time and just doing what we do and going out after work for drinks and whatever and just living that whole life, um, having all that extra time, not going into the office every day and being able to manage the affairs. And in our case, like our business was really well suited for remote work. And we actually had some very successful uh, years, you know, in our case during COVID and that. So that uh, helped me kind of change that. And then now I'm kind of, you know, with uh, these transactions we did at the uh, end of last year, I'm also trying to, you know, to, to focus on, on uh, more balance as well. So, uh, you know, if we, if we have this conversation again in a year, I'll let you know how it's going. Well, I, I was just going to ask you, um, if people ask you, you know, whether, whether uh, uh, youngsters or other business owners are asking you, like, is this conversation about balance like top of mind for you right now is it something you actually talk to people about about thinking we should do yeah i think it's very important in order to um, make your <clears throat> business career your entrepreneurial uh, journey sustainable yeah uh, i think balance is key or something close to balance whatever that means more balance yeah it does <clears throat> balance doesn't need to mean equal it, uh, but being deliberate about uh, carving out time for yourself and taking care of your own uh, wellness, I think, is uh, is really important. You know, like um, you know, like uh, we work, 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 work until we're in our sixties, and then we have time to finally enjoy life. No, I don't think that. Uh, I don't think that's the way it needs to be in today's modern world with all the tools that we have for remote work and um, yeah. So I think we can do both, and hopefully I'll be able to do both more successfully going awesome. forward. I'm going to ask you in a year. Where, where <laughs> yeah. You're yeah. Uh, this has been really cool, man. Uh, I appreciate your time. Um, story's really cool to hear because uh, the space is genuinely like, really interested in, so to understand how it started was really cool. Uh, I end the show with one question. When I say Calgary, where does your head go? Uh, opportunity. And fucking cold. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, but uh, <clears throat> opportunity. Um, Calgary for a really long time has been, you know, the place that people come to in Cal in Canada when they're uh, you know trying to pursue an entrepreneurial venture, or try to you know get uh, you know their their lives going. Uh, I'm also fortunate. I'm on the board of Calgary Economic Development. Uh, so I'm a big fan of of Calgary. I think we're going through um, some really uh, interesting changes. Uh, we're moving from uh, you know economy that was uh, for a long time um, um, dominated by the oil and gas sector to one that's uh, much more well diversified. With the oil and gas sector remaining a, you know important part of our economy, uh, but uh, there's lots of things that are driving prosperity now in this city. <clears throat> we um, you know, one of the best cities in the world for quality of life, according to The Economist. Uh, you know, so uh, stories starting to get out there. It's an affordable place to live, great place to raise a family, and uh, full of entrepreneurial spirit. So Calgary is opportunity. That's cool, man. Um, uh, yeah. 
it's such a, every answer is always a little bit different. The word opportunities definitely come up um, often with the entrepreneurial people I've had on the show, so it makes a lot of sense. Thanks again for your time. Yeah, really, really enjoyed the conversation. Thanks, Jeff. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks again. Yeah, thank you.